Neville Christie is an entrepreneur, innovator, mentor, psychotherapist, and urban shaman. We recorded this conversation earlier in the year where I took the opportunity to sound a set of ideas to Neville that deserve a great deal more clarity than I managed. But I suppose it's all a process, eh? Like a fat ballerina with two left feet trying to do some sort of jumping plie on a tightrope over a fire to satisfy some sort of inner image of ballerina potential. Do listen in, though, because Neville has some characteristic insight to offer about the nature of dreams, symbolism, our inner potential, the demons within, and the nature of the path. He's a truly interesting and accomplished thinker, and you can find him at innovatingcosmos.com and nevillechristie.com. Here we go. Well, you know, something else I mentioned to you after tragedy is dreams. Yes. You mean daydreams or nightdreams? Well, I think they both draw from the same... Well, I'm not sure if they draw precisely from the same uh, immediate point of departure, but in terms of the fundamental themes that make possible the imagination and the meaning that can play itself out to you in this these weird strange narratives that you're not in control of constructing yet if you look at them again they can explain certain things or at least they can shine the light to enable you to understand certain elements about your own life and I used I've kept a journal for many years and I started keep uh, keeping a, a dream journal with some degree of regularity about eight eight months to a year ago yep and so when I open up the diary now read through dreams that I have I have no idea I've completely forgotten that I've had but I go oh and I putting them putting the context of what has now played out in my life uh, and relating that to what the sort of dream was evidently trying to communicate then yes it's extremely powerful uh, well uh, Sigmund Freud said that dreams are the royal road to the unconscious um, we've talked about that before yes uh, I think there is a difference between uh, night dreams, uh, and we all dream four to five times a night. We can tell that by REM, rapid eye movement. Uh, and when when uh, dream researchers wake people up the moment they're doing the REM, uh, they, they always can uh, say, oh, I was dreaming. Uh, so um, my experience is that the dreams we have at night are typically about uh, messages from our psyche to ourselves and that every character in the dream, every object in the dream is actually some sort of representation of ourselves. So, for example, if we see or our mother is part of our dream, it's best to understand that that's not our real mother, it's our view of our mother it's our experience of our mother so it's quite a different thing from being our real mother mm. and when when you look at that you start to interpret the dream in all sorts of ways that are very very revealing about where we are on our journey and our experience but uh if you look at it daydreams tend to be more instead of inward looking daydreams tend to be outward looking they tend to be uh talking about the future we'd like for ourselves the world we'd like to create the people we'd like to have relationships with uh the money we'd like to get the the castles we'd like to build in the air so they're of a different nature i think one is inward looking one is outward looking and often at least what I've come to understand is the dream is playing with a problem that you can't quite figure out. It's playing with a bit of uncertainty. Not always, yes. perhaps, but... but I think uncertainty uh, rather than a problem because it might actually be an opportunity. You know, it might be right. It might be a conundrum that, that you know, we can see and, and the dream can... Uh, like, the dreaming comes from a part of the brain that is pre-language. It's, it's, so it's much more intuitive, animalistic, uh, you yes. know, more more instinctive mm. um, and so therefore it has a different language of image uh, and it has a, a different way of interpretation mm. yeah I'm trying to think and this is stretching a bit beyond what I currently have in my grasp but you know I, I understand that especially we get this a lot from Carl Jung and religious symbology in general the idea of elevating the symbol or the image that image-making representation capacity of our brain yes. as, in a sense, that which is 
uh, able to most bear a, a, a more sure communion with a source from which really how you relate in a meaningful manner to your life comes from. And, and well, it's like, what is that? Why be for life? It's like, well, of course, you've got to take into the context of your life and map it onto a, a particular situation of your life that is just one finite re- actuality of what could have potentially been an infinite number of things. And it's like, well, there's so many things going on and the dream is trying to place that all together in this pre-linguistic way. And, but, I, but, but, but the question that I'm trying to push myself towards getting at at the moment is whether or not there is some form of representation that can get us in um, even more surer, closer, more in-touch communion with the source of this meaning that incorporates image, but it's not so it does not solely rest in image. I think you're asking a, a very uh, complicated question. Uh, I'd like to just again reframe that just yes. slightly. If we take but three elements that are at work in our dreaming, the first is image making, as you said, like the 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 brain, the unconscious is calling on pre-existing images that exist in every human being. Um, we know that, like the the universal symbols that yes. exist. The second thing that's happening is that pattern making is occurring, that in the dream there's a pattern, there's a theme, there's a story unfolding. That story might be quite illogical, it might have stops and starts, but there's a pattern being formed by out of the image making. Yes. And there's also a desire to make sense of this, so meaning making. So it's symbol making, pattern making, meaning making. Now, when you think about it, that's that's rather fantastic that all those things are occurring at once. Now, uh, th- this is where it's important. You get these books about dreams and they say, you know, if you see a tower, well, this means a banana, and if you see a banana, this means a phallus, and if you see, like, you know, they, they give you explicit uh, directions about... It's nonsense because mm-hmm. what a banana means to you might be very different for, to what a banana means for a monkey, for example. So. The whole notion of the symbols and the pattern making and, and, and the uh, meaning making that's going on is intensely personal. Yes. So I think the issue is not the universal thing. That is, where is this all coming from and, yes. and, and what is all this happening? Yes. The, the, the more important question is, what is this telling me about me? And when you ask that question, you get fascinating, important understandings. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, you often need someone to bring the bring the dream to consciousness uh like because even when you're doing your dream journal, which isn't a fantastic thing to do, uh, I'm sure if if I saw your dream journal, soon after you wrote it and I asked you questions, you'd start to find all sorts of new things would come to your, to your remembrance that you'd totally forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. I know it does. I mean, I've done yeah, it many, no, many, I, many no, times. I yes. absolutely agree. I mean, it's, you have such a short space of time often to record a dream and it's so mm. fleeting. You just do your best to yes. get out what you can. But yes. of course, you... you, uh, you, you well, it's not only it's fleeting. It's like it's, li- it's, 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 it's happening on three levels all at the same time well, uh, you know you're on the you're in the basement you're on the first floor and you're on the second floor mm. all at once and trying to capture that multi um excuse me that multi levels of meaning is very difficult yeah no absolutely so when you're talking about these three levels of symbol making pattern making and meaning making you're making that distinction but but they're all united yes yes and and i think what i am trying to get at saying is that what unites those? Well, yeah, I, I guess I'm just trying to call attention to well, the uniting I, I'm saying feature. What, what, there's two things that unite it. First of all, the, the, the symbols that are being called on by you or me in our dreams or anyone else are universal symbols. Yes. Okay. So we all have them in our database. Yes. But, but apart from that... Uh, Everything is subjective. So you and I might have identical dream, identical story, identical symbols, but what it means for you will be quite different from what it means to me. Yes, no, I, 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 I 100% understand and I incorporate that into what, I, what I'm trying to get at with the idea that 
Well, the dream still structures itself in terms of a narrative. It does still play out in a story. It, it's fascinating. So it, it does. Isn't so it? it's over time. And it's time. got characters. Right. And it, has, and it has characters. And maybe perhaps those characters stand as representations as you peel back the layers and layers and layers right down to the sort of archetypes of the collective unconscious or whatever elements we want to say characterize that transpersonal land or domain right down to the fundamental symbols. So it's not as though one character necessarily means this, as, as you've rightly said, but, but to the extent that the characters in your dream are imbued with meaning as it manifests in your, actu in your actual life, they participate in the same dance with the source of what makes meaning possible, which the symbols themselves are standing as attempting to represent how that meaning relates itself out dynamically over time and in narrative and in story, because all of this is considered with respect to the fact that we are living and we are in duration. We are moving through time. We are not static and fixed. I'm not sure I'm, if I'm totally understanding you, but I got an image then. So if you imagine you walk into an extraordinarily rich uh, kindergarten where there's massive amounts of toys and dolls mm -hmm. and jigsaw puzzles and Lego sets and you know like images and pictures and whole stuff uh, in the room for you to play with and uh, you could imagine that happening two ways the first is you can imagine you coming in as the child or the parent of the child and you can imagine that you select from those items that are shared by everybody and you build your own Lego set out mm -hmm. of that. Or alternatively, you can imagine that the prime, the kindergarten teacher, uh, let's call that, you know, the subconscious, uh, it's pushing these things towards you and saying, select this one, take this one, use this one. Now, I think you, from my understanding is you're, asking that question about, you know, how does the kindergarten teacher push these images? Um, uh, and I'm sure there is an answer to that, but I've got no idea because I think what it is is that it's us as the parent or the child that is, is going into that room and selecting from the experiences we've had of that day or that week or that month or that year. And now we're trying out of all those things to make meaning uh, and form patterns. Yeah, no, I understand. That's a beautiful analogy. I think to the extent that a dream is, is, uh, can move you towards health, it's bounded by something that has to work in reality. I, as in, sorry, that's really important because we know that when people uh, are consciously sleep, are dream deprived. Mm -hmm. Sorry. So, as I said, um, a dream researchers when they see the REM, the rep, rapid eye movement, they wake you up. Now, if they keep doing that, they can actually you can get eight hours, ten hours sleep. Uh, you know, because you go back to sleep and then you'll be woken up. And, but uh, so you actually get sleep, but you don't dream. You are deprived of dreaming. And we know that that causes enormous mental agitation and, and all sorts of destructive behaviour. So we are absolutely, absolutely clear that dreaming is like a rubbish, uh, even if we don't know it, it's like that the brain is sorting out the rubbish and, and, and throwing it out. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so it's crazy. It's just, it is wonderful. It's amazing. It is wonderful that there's such an intense inner life that it's, it's something that has to play out when you, when you leave the world of action and the external world, the external world of your everyday. And, and if, if that inner life if you're too, if you don't have access to it, then you're losing part of what yourself needs to bring to bear in order to, in order to solve the problems and find the solutions and and move find through patterns. life. Find the, well, absolutely, all of it. Find I mean, uh, just yesterday I was dealing with a, an amazing young lady, and and we've been dealing with uh, the the various characters within the subpersonalities or the archetypes that, that are within. And I stunned her a bit. I said, look, say that uh, over the years when I've dealt with these with various people, I've never yet found fewer than 100 personalities or major archetypes at work uh, within a psyche. 
And she said, my gosh, you know, does this mean I've got to deal with all of them? And I'm, I said to her, well, whether or not you deal with them, they're there. Uh, some of them are enemies, some are allies, some are quite neutral. But the more you're aware of them and know them and actually give them a name and a, and a you know, some description, uh, the richer and richer and richer your inner life becomes because you're not dealing with one person, you're dealing with at least 100. And these people manifest as parts of you in your dreams. That's why I'm saying, you know, if you see your mother in your dream, it's not your mother, not your real mother. It's the archetypal mother and the way you relate to that archetypal part of yourself, the mother in you. Right. Which, which may mean that you're conflating the archetypal mother with your actual mother and that there is a real problem with the particular mother, but just not always. Exactly, yes. exactly. Yes. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Like it may be that the, you said the archetype because there is an issue that you have not worked through with your There's mother. There's a conflation. Uh, yeah. it, may be that, um, it may be that it's saying, more importantly, you know, what about the mother in you, you know, what's happening right. how is she right you know the mother the father in yeah. you the king yeah. in you the sage in you the wise man in you the fool in you yeah. yeah that's a really good way to flip it neville i'm glad you did that because it's yeah and and this is something i'm beginning to work into how i think about myself and life and mm. and things a little bit more you are not one but are many well that i mean i've been dealing with that one i think for quite a while yes and it's wonderful isn't it yeah Sure, absolutely. I mean, it is what it is, and being aware of what it is 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 uh is wonderful. Mm. I guess, <laughs> yeah. I guess I. Why are you interested in what are you interested in? Why do you find what is wonderful wonderful? We're, I guess we're trying to, in some sense, to talk about provide a little structure between ourselves that we can use to relate to about well, mm. how can that be? But, um, but, I mean, if, if we go back to we are not one, but we are many, um, uh, I think I shared this once before that uh, my son had paranoid schizophrenia and at one time he was in a very disturbed space and I spent three hours with him with a very skilled psychiatrist and uh, I just watched in absolute amazement as uh, over the time, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Yes, I watched in amazement as over the time with the psychiatrist, uh, he his voice changed, his posture changed, uh, his language changed, he, he shrunk down, he stood up, he was aggressive. And I said to the psychiatrist, what's happening? And he said, the various sub-personalities are unravelling. And I just, I just watched and listened and saw with amazement you know, he was a person who'd been integrated as one human being, but under his psychosis and, and the drugs and the illness, he was unfolding and, and his personality was breaking up into its its parts. Mm. And like, you know, we've seen this with people who have what we call multiple personalities. You know, uh, there's been, I think, Sybil, was it? The famous case of Sybil. But, but we all have multiple personalities. It's just that uh, if our psyche is relatively healthy, we are holding these in some sort of... Uh, happy uh, happy useful functional tension right. um, but sometimes they unravel right and they unravel in dreams maybe the dream is the first step of the unraveling if only you pay attention to it yes 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 yeah yes and, and bringing fantastic new awareness yeah well it's wonderful I've, I've i feel i've got a question in mind to ask you but it's such a difficult question i'll wait yeah, well, you know, yeah. I, I now I've said it, of course. <laughs> you can't back out there, can you? Well, the, I, I would, ju I just. <laughs> were there any any moments in your life where a particular dream shined the light on whether there was something you really needed to pay attention to right then and there, or a new way to go? Did you turn on a dime, so to speak, because of a dream? Did a dream give you the strength you needed to commit to something? All of that. Yeah. Uh, look, um, I, I don't really know why, but. Uh, over the last little while, because there's been a series of tensions in my life that are external to me, I've been dreaming about past events which um, I might call shameful. They weren't sinful or 
bad. They were just things I did that were stupid. Right. You know, I was inadequate. I right. was. They yeah. were failures. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But not, not monumental failures. Just stupid. Not morally thing. blameworthy. Not morally just blameworthy. Just ordinary incompetence. <laughs> I got it. Just ordinary incompetence. Yeah. And and like it's reminding me that my those dreams are reminding me of two things. Yeah. Look, at the end, we're all. Well, I'll speak. At the end, I'm quite incompetent. But over my life, I've been able to muddle through and find ways and build on that and gradually become more skilled, less... And, like, it's quite interesting because some of these dreams are flashbacks going back 40 or 50 years. And I wake up and I, my face is red with embarrassment. I feel shame again. Like, wow. But, but I can also look at it and say, but I've moved on. Yeah. Like I've moved on. It's it didn't kill me. It didn't annihilate me. It didn't destroy me. Yeah. Um, uh, so it, it's fascinating to be going through this experience at the moment of sort of reevaluating all sorts of aspects of my life and say, oh, that was so stupid. How could you have been so crazy? But in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Like it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed any patterns that occur when? A client of yours, well, not only begins to say uh, unravel the components of a pathology in the form of multiple subpersonalities that weren't getting the health they needed in life and were co-opting the ultimate, you know, the the overarching structure, or whatever the sort of pathology is. Have you noticed patterns of that? You gave the um, analogy in. A previous episode where you're comparing yourself to someone that's allowing the individual to expand and then the shrinks over in the others in the other place and they're coming out sort of looking down and they're shrinking so and i call myself an expand as against a shriek right yes. right and so is there a is there a a moment before someone's someone's eyes light up and switch on or their face softens and then something replaces it that might look harder, more mature, more battle-worn, oh, yes. Yes. more ready. Um, I, one of the three books I've written is called The Ten Second Mentor. And in life, say in mentoring, I might spend 10 minutes, an hour, two hours uh, working with someone. And there'll come a point where there's an aha experience. It's like an internal orgasm because suddenly the person gets it. You know, and and you see this going on. You know, it's quite obvious. Like you know, their body's changing. You can you can actually almost see the dendrites changing and the the brain rewiring, and their face changes and their body changes and their energy changes. And and you know, it's very important for me just to shut up and let it happen, not to say anything, because it's just an amazing. It's one of those fantastic aha moments A coming together. Everything comes together. Enlightenment occurs, not the big enlightenment that we're all God and, you know, that's the only God there is, not that big enlightenment, but, but you know, a special moment of enlightenment, of understanding, of awareness, and that person is never, never the same again. It's, it's a massive, significant change. And, yes, I love that moment. It's just beautiful. I, I think there's another pattern. When any of us come to be aware of the multiple us's there are and how some of them are our downright enemies, you know, you right. can't do that, you're a hopeless idiot, you yes. know, who the hell do you think you are to tackle that? Yeah. You know, those voices, that, yeah. that those, and then, you know, the voices of saying, Oh dear, you know, you know. Please make sure you've got your wellies on. You know, you know. Do, do just be careful. Don't go out in the rain. You know that voice that comes in. All those voices that are there, those talky talky talkies. That, and I mean, our brain never shuts up. Like we yeah. know, it never shuts up twenty four hours. And all these voices are going. All these characters are having a say. When we get to know these and work on these, and and see some are enemies some are friends but the enemies we get we 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 don't tackle we we find someone that's an ally who can can counter countermand the the enemy counterbalance it and what happens is life becomes easier the pattern is life becomes easier and and 
and we manage ourselves so much better. Right. right. Almost like almost like something that just came to mind there is almost like managing yourself in the same way a wolf pack might manage itself. Yes. Which is to say that like, well, the dominant wolf isn't gonna isn't gonna fuck up all the little wolves necessarily yes. because well he needs them and yes. and so they might be adversaries in one sense, but they all need to pull together and it's when the pack yeah. is pulled together that you yeah. can achieve the most and are most powerful, most functional. Yeah. So it's never really about Oh, I was going to say it's never about locking yourself in, locking a part of yourself entirely away, and it and it can't be. But goddamn, there seems to be part of people that you know, parts of some people that, well, let's just keep the chains on a little bit there. Let's not see that one manifest forth too much, and perhaps that sub personality we could imagine, just some pick your pick your pick your chronic criminal who gets taken over by something within themselves and continues to commit crimes, maybe even against what they ultimately want themselves. We, we might think that on one hand, that sub-personality, that tendency to behave that way is something that's been built up over many years of consistently not being able to pay attention to the, the self-defeating, life-denying part of themselves that is manifesting in that moment. You sort of avoid it, you turn the eye another, another way so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then all of a sudden... It's like okay, we need to put we need to put some chains on that thing right now. Maybe some people do need to chain part of themselves up. Maybe that's the only way. You go to rehab centers and you're staying in that house for a while. You don't have control over yourself, so you need to sub subject yourself to other people that can help you out. The problems are too big for you to manage. And then I think, well, some people as well are born with demons in them that they are demons that come more fully formed than in in others. And I'm always always trying to. You know, one thing that's so important to do in conversation in life, when you look at the world, when you're trying to communicate with someone, build a build a bridge between you, is is to is to is to recognize, to be on the lookout for, or find a way to imagine whether it's holding hands with that person. Don't even have to hold hands. You can signal to them from afar. You can just imagine some place that you can cohabit with them that has them still find a way to move toward health or the good from from where they are like but it can be so so difficult to know where that moment is if someone's so co-opted already or so just i've got such difficulty i mean how powerful you have to become as an individual to be able to take on problems that are so much bigger than you when you're younger yeah. and you shouldn't take on problems that are too big for you because it's just too big for you it's going to subsume you within it. it's going to knock you over maybe you'll make it worse right. I, I guess i guess to try and synthesize what i'm getting at there is just a well we're all human beings and what we're talking about when we're talking about the transpersonal and these the realm of symbols and the, the we're cut from the same nature and we're all doing the same thing just in a different way right but but we can get lost as well and tragedy does happen and it is eternal and it's on the other side of the coin to to humor or whatever thing you want to put on the other side of it there and we can fall into it and on an individual level we can be completely crushed by it there's no doubt it happens to people yep doesn't mean it's not still beautiful doesn't mean you can't overcome it and so those parts in me that might think hey you've got a handle on this situation uh yeah you're really in control of what's going on making some money here you're doing that there what you think's going to happen is going to happen and people should listen to you about that and you know but it's like well you know be careful of that because that type of person is gonna uh, be more likely to not pay attention to the fact that maybe the people you're currently working with aren't exactly behaving in a way that's conducive to your own health and the health of whatever organization you're a part of or and then you get involved in the same activities and all of a sudden it's like well you're complicit in what that activity is but it's not at in its core founded on that attentive awareness and impelling toward health that has to come from from your own humility and not letting certain aspects of yourself get in control over those other counterbalancing aspects and look you've said so much there and yeah. we could spend two hours looking at that but i'd like to respond on three three issues first of all you talked about uh the movement towards health I, I am extraordinarily convinced over my 75 years that, that our psyche uh, knows how to heal itself. And it has, a lot of, it has a lot of protection around it to make sure that that healing and that growth 
uh, and that uh, confronting the demons doesn't come too quickly uh, so that it can't that it can't be dealt with. And uh, the only times I've seen that break down is with a group that I used to call Ladmine because, uh, you know, they worked on the, the, the demons at such a rapid pace and in a group and with such dexterity that, that a number of fragile psyches got, got blown apart. And, you know, they came to me. I remember one one client came for an hour and just sat in the corner and sobbed, you know, just curled up in a fetus position, just wow. and sobbed for an hour after being at a landmark session. Now, I'm not knocking landmark, uh, but I'm just using that as an example that, you know, there are processes which can can open the psyche to the demons far too quickly right. uh, and break down the defence mechanisms. But in the main, right. the psyche has the ability to heal itself. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, one of the most constant images people find uh, occur in their dreams is a house or a mansion. And if we see that that house or mansion is actually a representation of ourselves and our psyche at this point in time. So if... If we have in our dream a mansion of a thousand rooms and, you know, as we're walking through it, you, you've got every imaginable beauty, you know, you've got treasures and pianos and artworks and, and rock, rock and roll and you've got uh, pools and you've got cinemas and you've got bedrooms and, and bathrooms, you know, like you've just got hundreds and hundreds of rooms full of beautiful, wonderful, amazing things. Now, that's us. That, that is us. That's, that is us, that mansion. Right. But, you know, what if we decided to live just in the basement? Right. Or, you know, in the kitchen and, and we slept and, and had our being in one room. Right. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be a tragedy? A tragedy? <laughs> <laughs> it would. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? It yes. It's tragic if we did that. So um, this is my, you know, my, my postulation. We know how to heal ourselves. We are a mansion with a thousand rooms and hundreds of personalities. And if the more we come to recognise the rooms and the personalities, the goodies and the baddies and the rotten ones and the fantastic ones, and we come to cope with them, manage them, work with them, the more beautiful, rich, fantastic we become and our world becomes. Yes, absolutely. I think um, I think that's a I think that's a powerful message. And you're a mansion, a multi-room mansion. Yeah, yeah I wish I bloody had one at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, I'm a, at the moment I'm a one-bedroom flat. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got two fucking couches well, that need to be they need to be sold. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the fittings in the kitchen. Well, are see, nice. that's a fantastic example. Like you know, we can life can be can be uh, down to a one-bedroom flat. Right. But, you know, it can come down to that. But it's a one-bedroom flat in a thousand-room mansion. Well, yes. and in this case, it's in the city of Melbourne where you can step out into the door and I catch a free tram, free bloody tram in yes. 10 minutes, and I'm at your apartment. We can have a chat about this stuff. And you've got libraries and you've got pools and you've got theatres and you've got pubs and you've got every other Absolutely. damn thing you could ever want. Absolutely. Yes. So yes. just to make this thing, just to complexify it even more, the mansion is connected, well connected to society yes and it's played out with everybody else and everybody's mansion is composed of the same everybody's mansion has the same structure that allows the manifestation of all these different rooms the contents in them will be different the rooms roughly seem to well, conform well human to needs and wants are the same aren't they but uh the way those human needs and wants manifest uh have infinite variety yeah right yeah yeah. But your thousand-room mansion and my thousand-room mansion are connected. Right. And so's theirs and theirs and theirs. Like, you know. yeah. That's why I love the internet because I envisage like each node, each individual as being a node of a thousand rooms with at least a hundred characters inside those rooms. Yes. And it's connected to that mansion with a thousand rooms yes. and a hundred carriers. And it's connected to that one and it's connected to that one and that one, that one, that. And in fact, it's connected to 7.2 billion nodes. Yes. 7.2 billion mansions. Yeah. I just find that so yeah. 
amazingly wonderful about today's world. Yeah, you know, it, absolutely. And you know, what that did raise to mind though, if we're talking about it at the level of interconnectivity, then all of a sudden it does become quite clear that, well, not everybody's a mansion right now. No, like, right. everybody um, is a mansion, but they may only be living in one room. Okay. Yes. No. No. Yeah. If we if we if we take it if we take it as that, then then absolutely. In terms of uh, let's just say, in terms of where everyone's living, then. But the what I'm what I'm trying to segue into is is talking about this idea that that I want to break myself against in some sense which is that we look at how the internet has enabled mass connectivity and uh, we're advancing our ability to talk about where we're situated in life with respect to the history of our species and yep. and you know juxtaposed with vast technological power and advancements in all these ways but also a more and more developed like yes people say in certain parts of the world we've lost a spiritual understanding but you know through losing it when you come to find it again you're finding it from a different place and then you're re-particularizing and all the knowledge is still there and, and it feels quite like quite an inspiring and wonderful time to come into attempting to merge the worlds of spirituality and let's just say science broadly we could be a bit more te technical than that together but so the question would be then be about the right way to disseminate such knowledge and how... You mean spiritual knowledge? What spirit, spiritual knowledge, yeah, yes, but, but any, any, any knowledge for health. But yes, in this, in this case, it's a spiritual knowledge. But by spiritual knowledge, in this sense, I'm really talking more about an embodied, pragmatic approach to life. It's a, it's a way of being, yeah. right? And so... I think you're talking about a way of being that transcends the material way of being. Is that what, what you're talking about? Yes. Well, but, but perhaps more technically is the way to express that way of being is built on a different set of presuppositions about what is real. And we don't have to delve into that discussion right now, but... Hang on. I'd like to before you go Okay. Further. Because I, I have troubles with the the narrow definition of spiritual, you know, yes. uh, you, and I'm sure you've come through much of the New Age movement, but the New Age movement was really a major uh, counter-revolution against the material, you know, wealth-polluting uh, type world. And, and so they embraced a type of mystical, spiritual, which, which was a great... But, like, in some ways, they became so heavenly-minded they were no earthly good. Mm. Uh, so, for me, being fully human is not just about living in a material world and dealing with material things. It's not just about having a spiritual essence and way of life, but it's also about um, the world of emotions, uh, you know, which people don't normally include in spiritual uh it's also the world of the psych the psych the psyche the psychology it's also the world of society and community so i i'm very hesitant to you know just juxtapose juxtapose uh spiritual as against material because for me to be wholly human we need to be physical and sexual and emotional and spiritual and psychological and social and community. And we need to do some hard work in the world. Uh, you know, all of these things make up what it means to be fully human, not not just spiritual. No, I the, the point is well taken. And um, I uh, was not, uh, you know, I am not going to proceed to talk of the spiritual as this esoteric detached from pragmatically human yeah. thing um no. so that that wasn't the route i'm going down and uh, you'll also find no um really i don't really have a background in new age at all i mean the as far as i have a interest in the new age movement it's in a close and honest attempt to really understand someone like carl jung and that's that's going back right to the core of where you know that guy's not new age he's um he's 
he's so incredibly deep that you can take a part of him and then go off and spread it across the world and think that that is what it's about and you know maybe just take the positive element of spirituality following bliss against all else and not taking into account the fact that there are rooms in this mansion that, that you're not paying Joseph attention Campbell to. following you bliss right right not but Carl Jung. right right no no I know I'm not saying Carl Jung saying following your bliss I'm saying you can just take an aspect of Carl Jung which you know you know um you're quoting Joseph Campbell is taking I think Joseph Campbell I think presents the other side of the story um you know as well I mean it's just the, the point is, and this is so, the point is things can get diluted and misunderstood and mistaken. And that is not what I'm trying to... Yes, and, so and I, I, sorry, I, I think they get misunderstood every time we, we take the scientific principle of reductionism. Like when we just take spirituality and we, dri we drill down or we just take, you know, the material world or business or economics and drill down. Yes, And we just cute. take politics and we drill down. Yes. I mean, look at the mess our politics are in because they're completely, seemingly ignoring their role in society. Right. And, and, you know, just reassembling 19th century attitudes. Uh, like, you know, I, I can't believe the, the divorcement of yes. our political system from reality and from the world of living. Yeah, well, I know you've been inquiring about and trying to, we've been trying to get clear on what my dissertation would be about for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. And it's something, you know, I've been working on. It's not like it's just changing all the time. It's It's anchored to the pursuit of all of this. But if it would come out, you know, I, I could say of it, it would be true to say of it that it's an attempt to try and build the bridge between analysis and mysticism. And analysis there is what I'm taking you to just have identified with this taking spirituality and just drilling it down, just taking it apart and just looking at it divorced from everything else. Not part of a structure of, we can say it, we can call it uh, cognizing or thinking. It's not just that because again, that's taking apart what it is to recognize these concepts. And so living, I need to, living, I need, living, living, and growing. living with it, exactly. Living, living and living. growing with it. Yes. And so I, I haven't, I haven't, gone off yet you know I, I made the distinction very broadly between materialism and spirituality we could pick into anybody there's plenty of people who misunderstand those things and then if we take their definitions and apply uh, oppose them together we're missing out so much so we'll just put that aside for now and the question that i began this part trying to get at is what would be the way to begin to disseminate how to come it's not just disseminating this knowledge because it's about disseminating in fact what it is is about embodying a process of embodying a process that foot that the individual who is listening or in relation to must uh if they cannot understand articulately be able to embody through imitation and have what they imitate main maintain a shard of authentic connection to the whole of what was honestly attempted as spiritual communion or was what was lived out as spiritual communion it doesn't mean it has to come from somewhere that's getting it everything right right i could be talking about this stuff and be totally flawed but to the extent that i'm manifesting forth this conversation honestly then the idea would be that someone listening even if a lot of people don't someone listening can relate to that in such a way that it impacts some authentic connection they're meant to, they're able to make about their own life. And so, and it links to this idea of nodes because it's not about having one place where all the knowledge is, it's about understanding that the way we need to relate to each other is playing out an ever, ever evolving dynamic process of communication, circumambulation around a pattern of coming to face with this primal reality of paying attention to uncertainty, paying attention to the rooms in your house that you're not, you know, we, 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 we're, we're, we're trying to latch onto it with analogy at the moment and we're trying to build them into conversation. I don't just want to talk about it technically and I want to bond this to an analogy to help people understand, but you know, I'm speaking at the edge of what I can speak about coherently here, so it's difficult. I, I I heard a lot of words there. I think where you started is, if you want to do all of that amazing stuff, where do you start? Was that was your question? Well, I, I, I think I, <laughs> I mean, I'm already starting. I'm not asking about where to start because to the extent that I'm sitting here with you and we're speaking honestly to each other, 
It's already, it's fine. Yes. See, that's like if somebody, anybody, me, you, anybody wants to start or to continue, it is vital to do it in dialogue. Yes. With somebody who has some idea of the questions and the possible answers. Not definitive answers because what works for me is almost certainly not going to work for you. Right. But but the, the notion is to have dialogue with a spiritual teacher, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, uh, an older, wiser human being, a mentor, a coach, and 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 dialogue, you know, about that. That's... That's an important, a very close friend, a, right. a, a partner. Right. You know, th that's the way we evolve. We evolve in community. Yes. And to participate in this process of, and I can use the word logos now, because yes. we've put out enough words that need to be tied together by something that's just trying to communicate this, this, what is it? It's a pragmatic moving forward with humility in dialogue approach to yes. orienting yourself toward a light in the sky. Yes. And and it's not about fundamentally saying, I know the way and you better bloody well walk in it. It's not about that. It's two seekers after after a way of life that's rich and wonderful and beautiful. Yes. Uh, exploring those possibilities together yes but I, I also want to tie this to the pragmatics of the fact that well you know individuals can impact the world with conscious decisions that can play out with massive um consequences you know just take imagine you're a, a, a technical worker a technical worker fuck, and you know you're, you're someone in it at facebook you're Mark Zuckerberg, you can change how Facebook presents information to people and radically change the course of people's days if you plug at the right things. It's like, what incredible power to have with the click of a finger. So it's like, okay, the point I'm making here is that the immediacy and extent of our communication and ability to co-opt what might, the ability to co-opt the aspects of us that are crying out to um, to are thirsting for meaning. They can be they can be co-opted by people presenting, uh, let's say, let's say, uh, the the desires and fantasies or nightmares of a few subpersonalities of the collective without giving the countervailing um, narrative. Word, countervailing. Right, without giving the countervailing narrative. Okay, so. Part of what I'm trying to get at is to, have, is, is to have a pragmatic conversation about the technicality of implementing a system of communication that ensures as much as possible that the bias doesn't creep in. And, and the reason I'm trying to get at this in my mind is because this broad area of discussion relates fundamentally to how I think ultimately AI is will be managed should it be managed for health I'm just saying will be managed in in a with respect to a broad discussion that I haven't given a conclusion no, of so it's okay. like I, I absolutely believe that bias cannot but bias cannot possibly be ironed out uh, and and there's a a, a a number of reasons for that a research study has just come out of about three weeks ago, that says that in any interaction, uh, in any apparent new experience that we're having, the brain is only accessing about 1% of new data and the other 99% is coming from past experience, past awareness, you know, the files in the brain. What does that mean? It means that there's an enormous distortion occurring in every possible interaction, every encounter we're having, because we're all victims, or shape, not victims, a bad word, well, victims, we're all victims of our past, right. you know, we're, we're all shaped by, we're all, uh, uh, look at two twins, you know, who have different experiences, they become different people, even though they've got, they've got the same genetic structure, basically. Um, uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that, that all data 
that comes from wherever it is is processed by the limbic brain, the, the, the horse or mammalian brain in the middle of our brain where all the emotions lie. So before, before data from the external world um, goes to other parts of the brain to be acted on, it's already coloured by emotion and it's already enormously influenced by historical past experience. So I don't think we can ever rule out bias ever 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 i think all we can do is to say look this is working for me uh i share it with you but like you know i totally acknowledge and accept it might be totally and utterly crap for you i i i agree with you and they are it's so it's so vital to to raise that it's not it's certainly not about ironing out bias at the level of the of the human being okay and so only in theory would it be about like when I'm talking about non-bias here, I'm only talking about um, the advent of some technology that is somehow separate to us. But it may not be separate from us, and the bias may not be possible, and that's fine. We and and uh, and, and I'm happy to I'm happy to say that that that's going to be inherently biased as well. That because and 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 here's something I have to add, which is what again what we're looking to motivate here is the idea that this is this whole um, health driven process is played out continually and con- iteratively and will eternally require the reparticularization of the of the fundamental source of its of its being that's too technical i guess <laughs> the, you, but, saw, you saw the days look on my face yeah, did you? No, um, <laughs> as i tried to comprehend so, those words no, yeah. <laughs> so uh but so that so mm. i'm we, we're not looking for there's a distinguish to be made between whether or not we're looking for the perfection that can only be found in something that's finite and static mm. and the and the reality that being is something that is not static and in duration and therefore if you're going to allow that the thing that is static is perfect inherently imperfect and so it's it's not we're not searching for the answer it's not about that it's uh, what i'm what i'm trying to get at is what structure can allow the continual posing of health of of health infused willing questioning it's 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 a structure that allows human beings to continue to come together to have to participate in the in the mode of logos right so all of this i found one way oh yes uh, and it goes back many years ago to um, to uh, a whole science, if you like, or movement that developed called affirmations. Okay. And was all part of the positive thinking or positive stinking movement. Yeah. And by the way, I have major problems with that movement, the positive. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. And I think I can see how that would be from this conversation as well. But yeah, Yes, like uh, it uh, obviously we move to positive thinking as, as a pragmatic approach which is whatever the world's really like whether it's good bad rotten or indifferent uh, a positive attitude towards it is more pragmatically useful than a negative and critical and uh, but 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 in in denying the demons and so on that we talked about uh, there is big consequences of that and now I've lost what I started to say oh yes uh, affirmations um, uh, there's one that I chant regularly uh, today, and every day, step by step, I'm getting better. So stupid, but it it sort of affirms that I'm not who I was yesterday. Uh, I'm not who I can become. Yes. But day and every day, step by step, I'm getting better. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean. And then you live up to it yeah. as best you can. It's amazing the number of times I find I come back to the notion of intent. Like, you know, my, I've ex- shared this with you, my son, because he had paranoid schizophrenia, He, what we would used to call mad, crazy. Uh, he was very interested in black magic and he used to read up about it and then he'd get all disgusted and he'd throw the books away. Uh, but our discussions were always centred around intent because I used to say to Anthony, Anthony, there's no difference in the techniques and methods of white magic and black magic. The difference is intent. And in black magic, somebody wants to harm somebody else and does some rituals that bring that about. With white magic, the intent is to 
do good to someone else. Uh, and, you know, so much the same processes are used. Um, and And in a lot of this, I think it does come down to intent you know what am i doing this for why am i doing this podcast what what is my intent is it white magic or black magic uh, you know am i seeking to improve the world or make it worse am i seeking to have a vendetta against a particular group am i there to persuade the world that my way is the only way so our intent uh is very important because it it actually changes the connection between the left and the right brain, the the you know the arty farty right brain and the accounting engineering left brain. That when we say I will, I commit, I intend to do something, the two brains start to work together in a quite magical way. So, intent to me is extraordinarily important and. Positive affirmations are a really interesting form of intent, aren't they? Today and every day, step by step, I am getting better. That's a manifestation of intent. You mentioned magic before, and I know you used the black magic and white magic distinction a little bit, and I interpret it as as you mean you you use it to sort of. Um, flesh out what you mean by intent and I suppose positive and negative intent. I'm saying deliberately, uh, is this is this an intent that will lead to the betterment of myself and others? Right, for health. Or for health and wellness and well-being. Yeah. Or is this as an intent that is meant to do payback, to hurt, to harm, to bring somebody down? in yeah. some way shape or form yeah that's what i mean no yeah. I, I yeah that's exactly what i thought i just thought to dig into it a little bit more because of course you know people might hear black magic and white magic and go whoa what the fuck's going on here then hey no what, it's about know, that well i know i know but i just want to make the link because yes. you know um well we see people generally believe they're doing white magic and black magic and they're rather than saying maybe they're what they're doing they're actually acting thing out whether or not they're using a cauldron or you know we, we thought witches were things where there's voodoo and all the all these things people actually embody and practice out I some of these i wasn't talking about no that i know one, you're not yeah. talking about that but the make but, it clear but no absolutely you're not talking about that but the but the it's interesting how i would i would say that people acting out witchcraft or whatever black magic or white magic or acting that out in the world that level of development is the pre-evolutionary precursor to a psychological understanding i mean it looks to me that way i was challenged by this just uh last week because two sundays ago my wife had a heart attack and there's a lovely lady here who always asks after her and uh, I explained that Joanna had just had a heart attack and we thought we'd lost her, but, but, but no, thank God. Um, and, and this other lady, Joanna also, she said, we never know how long we've got, which just proves we need to be kind to each other. And that's really stuck with me. Like, you know, uh, kindness, kindness is an extremely wonderful thing to engage with other you know to say yeah I, i've been kind you've been kind to me that yeah. that that is for me i don't know in the idea of kindness <laughs> moves me to tears because yeah. it's it's just such a beautiful idea there's something yeah i don't know who am i to say this shit you know there's something um remarkable about acts of kindness in the most extraordinary circumstances yeah. right and and perhaps it's that element that can move you to tears you can see it kindness all over the place like you know the family was at the hospital all sunday night sunday weeknight uh, having vigil and uh that some of the local staff the team in, and we're talking you know midnight on a sunday night they arrived with blankets and uh told us where we could get coffee and uh there were some people from Tonga or Fiji there who were also having their vigil and they had some excess donuts and they just said please take the donuts I was extraordinarily moved by that like you know such a such a small thing if you like that 
that people would bring you blankets and and a and a you know a, and show you where you could lie down on a couch and someone else would give you donuts. And this morning I was walking along the street, and there's a guy selling these magazines. You know these people who are unemployed. They sell a magazine. And they get half. A woman came up and gave a man ten dollars, and he went to give her the magazine, and she said, "No, that's fine." And I thought that's kindness. You know, it's just. And on that emotional point, do you feel maybe we should be kind to ourselves and our listeners and say bye for now? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Goodbye, goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. See you later.